Welcome back to QAV, Tony K. Monday, the 18th of May, 2020. How was your weekend? Very good, thank you. Very nice. <laughs> Whoops. What was that? It <laughs> <laughs> was an accident. That's what that was. <laughs> Something crashed. This is QAV, a podcast for serious investors. Hi, I am Kevin Wiley, and welcome to the QAV podcast. <laughs> All of the uh, QAV bumpers came on at the one time. Uh, tell me about your weekend, TK. Uh, things opening up in Sydney. Did you do anything that you hadn't been able to do for a while? Yeah, I went to a, a dinner at a friend's place, which was lovely. Wow. Yeah, and walking out, this is Saturday night, and walking down there, yeah, did feel a bit scary. I mean, there are a lot of people out there who are traveling in groups and, you know, walking all over the sidewalk, not getting out of the way, walking into restaurants and cafes, standing in doorways. Uh, it might, might just be me, but I'm quite sensitive to all that now. Right. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how quickly people go back to pre-COVID uh, manners or how touchy we all are. Christy and I were talking about that on the weekend. I, I She said, oh, I think people are going to be walking around very skittish for a while. And I said, ah, I don't think so. I think the majority of them are over it. They'll just go back to the way they were. Behaviours are hard to change, but we'll see. Yeah, I think human nature always reverts to type. So mm. I, I tend to agree with you. I think I'm going to be skittish for a while. Mm. Um, I really notice it, mm. uh, maybe because I've just been locked in here for a long time. Mm. But. Anyway, let's get, we've mm. got, like last week when we recorded our Q&A show, we had no cues to <laughs> A, uh, but this week... Lots. Thousands and thousands. So <laughs> thank you for your questions. They're all great. And we will try and get through as many of them as we can before we burn out this morning. So uh, I wanted to start with a lovely comment that we got from one of our listeners, Mark. He said, well, I was listening this afternoon with a glass of Lake Breeze. My wife heard both of you talking and asked if this was the Roy and HG of investing. <laughs> Like that. Well, yes, 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 it is. Yes. <laughs> did you did you, <laughs> did you did you see on during the week that the parrot resigned, HG? <laughs> Very good. <laughs> yes, he did. Alan Jones retired. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm happy. I mean, I I've never listened to <laughs> Alan Jones except in taxis while I've been in Sydney. But mm. uh, I think that's a good thing for the country. Don't you think? I think so, yes. Mm. And a good thing for Channel 9, which took over 2GB. Mm. Uh, I mean, he's he's retiring. He's 79, so he's quite entitled to retire. Mm. Uh, he's saying for health reasons. I think it was financial health reasons for 2GB. Right. And they were paying him $4 million a year. Mm. And last year, they lost $4 million in advertising because of him. So mm. <laughs> he's becoming very expensive. Mm. And that was after, of course, he told Scott Morrison to put a sock down just in the Redern's throat when... Uh, when he next met her. Really? Hmm. Wow. Charming. Yeah. 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 Very charming. Yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, what are, what, are, what are old white people going to do now? There's no uh, Alan Jones to listen to. What, what are they going to do? I guess they've still got Balty. They can turn to Balty. They've got, they've got, they've got Peter. Peter Credlin. 
Oh, um, right. What's she doing these days? Is she on the radio or TV or what? I think she's on Sky on TV. Right. Okay. Yes, Alan Jones and Peter Credlin used to have a mutual admiration society show on Sky at night. It was quite funny to watch. Right. Well, they used to praise Tony Abbott and want him to come back into politics. Yeah, oh, right. <laughs> oh, yeah, that would be wonderful. Quite funny. Uh, now, um, Tony, uh, you, you came up with some magic maths last week for 3PTL. Yes. Uh, we're going to do a video after we finish recording this today. We're going to try and get it on video. But do you want to give people a quick heads up on your magic maths? Quick heads up, yes. So... I was trying to automate drawing a three-point trend line and I was was exploring my old high school trigonometry and, and, and I think it was a bit simpler than that, but I've come up with a, a spreadsheet which can draw the line. Um, it still requires someone to work out which two points they want to join, but mathematically it's possible to take those two points and extend them out to a, a buy price or a sell price hmm. uh, using using a calculation which calculates the slope of the line between those two points and then extends it out for however many months we need to. And so what does this avoid or how does this help us really? Well, we can throw away our rulers for a start. That's good. (laughs) Good thing I didn't get a thousand of them printed last week. I I did spend some time looking for uh, a a ruler supply. I couldn't find anything that looked cool enough, but I'm glad I didn't do that. Okay, we can throw away our rulers and... Yeah, well, we can come up with a number now by plugging in the two high points or two low points okay. and get a, a sell number or a buy number. Um, we'll, we'll run through it on the video. I mean, it will still require a bit of a judgment call about whether you're using the high point and the next highest point to the right or the last peak or the sell lines, the sort of same thing in reverse. But um, we can go through with some examples. So we, we had our Zoom call last week for QAV Club members, and that was great. Thank you for taking time out to do that. And you, you spent a lot of time on that uh, going through three-point trend line examples. We, you shared your screen and you showed us where you would draw them. And I think that helped everybody that was on the call, including me. And uh, you know, I guess what I, what I uh, got mostly out of that was... The understanding that what we're trying to do here is just figure out uh, three. The, the sentiment test is really a way of figuring out how much confidence the market has in that stock at the moment. Is that is the confidence declining or is the confidence improving? Because we mm-hmm. we don't really want to buy a stock if the market has no confidence in it right now, even though it may be a good company even though mm-hmm. the numbers may be good if the market is dumping it for some reason it's not the right time to buy it we'll wait till the market uh, decides that they have confidence in it again before we'll buy it mm-hmm. and that all of the rules and all of the the, the guidelines between drawing where do we draw the points and uh, this that and the other really at the end of the day when you look at these graphs, it's just about trying to figure out, and you've said this a lot of times that, you know, you, you, it's second nature for you. You just eyeball it. I think a lot of us get caught up in the the drawing of the lines because um, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, I don't know, it's nice to draw lines. It's, it's cathartic to draw lines. But it's it's really just, am I right in, in saying that you're just glancing at that to see whether or not it, it has the confidence of the market at the moment or not? 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's uh, you know, as a as a value investor, I can really like a company and the market doesn't, which means I can take a position and wait for a long time for the market to to agree with me, or I can be wrong for a long time and lose money. So you can't you can't ignore the fact that we are buying and selling in a market to a market, and if you don't take that into account, you can. You can buy the best product in the world, the best gadget, but if no one's going to buy it from you, then it's pretty meaningless. So that's why we're looking for sentiment to be on our side. It's like when we had the super investors on and you said afterwards, there's a difference between a good company and a good investment. Correct. Yes. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and the reverse is true for when the market turns down, like you know, Qantas and Credit Corp and other companies that we sold as the market retreated. I, I think I think still are very good companies, but we save money by by following the market's lead, uh, and we may buy those companies again in the future, but not just yet, because again the market hasn't really, uh, you know, it's either it's either unsure what the future holds for those companies, or it's just uh, waiting to see like we are. That's how I feel about Zimplats at the moment. <laughs> Zimplats is killing me. Oh, no. It's down 22% since I added it to my portfolio several several weeks ago. I I saw the comment somewhere that someone said, please tell me what you're buying next so I can avoid it. Yeah, thanks, Eddie. (laughs) Nice one, Eddie. (laughs) Not a bad tip, actually. All right, well, we'll we'll jump into the video of the three PTL maths later on. Can I jump into questions? Yeah, sure. Mark H., asks, does Tony rate all of the big four as having positive QAV scores but only holds off buying due to sentiment? Pretty much. I haven't actually analysed all the big four. Um, I think I've done most of them. And they all score really well. But, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we talked about that two weeks ago, I think, where I was tempted to buy them based on their scores. Uh, And lucky I didn't because, uh, you know, the sentiments continued to drift down with them. And I shared an article during the week which I think you you posted that uh, the the analysts of the banks are worried that they haven't provided enough for for bad debts and for a fragile economy and that's that's another interesting point which I sent through to you is that uh, the latest stats came out last week and said the unemployment numbers were 6.2 percent in Australia but if but if you went to the uh, ATOs I think it was numbers and added up those who are getting job keeper and job seeker there was 7.6 million people receiving those two payments from the government out of a total workforce of about 13 million people. So more than half of the, the workforce in Australia is actually either not working or working so little that they can they can uh, qualify for welfare from the government. So it's hard to see that things are going to get better. Uh, sure, it'll get better in terms of people are opening up now, but I'm reading lots of articles now, particularly amongst the retailers who are saying, well, we're opening up our stores, but we're not going to open up all our stores. You know, there are going to be some which just stay closed permanently. Uh, so, I, you know, based on that evidence, from that, that came from Solomon Liu's chain or chains. He has a number of different chains, Smiggle, Peter Alexander, I think Dottie and Portman's. Uh, he's saying that, that he's opening up his stores, but not all of them, and some of them are going to stay closed forever. And likewise, Michael Hill Jewelers came out over on the weekend and said the same thing. They were reopening stores, but not all of them. So of those 7.5 million people who are receiving payments from the government, uh, you know, a lot of those are still going to require job seeker payments um, 
well into the future. So it's hard to see how even when, when things get back to being fully open that they're going to get back to normal as, as we know it from last year. So, uh, yeah, and that's, that's I think, what's fueling the analysts who are looking at the bank saying, well, come on, if those people who can't find jobs, uh, who are out of work now, who don't go back to work, have loans, you're going to have to, to write them off at some stage and are you providing adequately for it? So, yeah, I think the banks are going to be in for a rocky ride for a while. Right. So Mark was asked, you know, as you talked about NAB back when you were having mm-hmm. your musings, do you have any views on Westpac or ANZ? Have you looked at them closely? Yeah, yeah, Westpac is a buy as well. Uh, I haven't done ANZ uh, or CBA. So Westpac and and, and uh, NAB are both buyers. I did, sorry, I did look at ANZ quickly. It's on the price to cash flow, it's compelling. I haven't done the uh, the quality checklist side of things. And, of course, we'll talk about Macquarie Bank a bit later, which is not part of the big four, but part of the big five. And uh, that's my pick for a bank to buy at the moment. Now, when you say Westpac's a buy, you mean it would it would be once the sentiment turns up, I assume? Correct. Yeah, its buy target was $28. Right. I'm just looking up at share price now. It's uh, much less than that. Westpac is $15.26. Yikes. So Mark says, next question is when to buy once they turn up? Well, we've got to wait for the three-point trend line to to be met. So as I said, Westpac is 28, current Mm -hmm. share price is 15. It's going to be a while. Uh, Bearing in mind that in the GFC, that that while took 18 months. And of course, in 18 months' time, the buy price for Westpac will be lower than it is now the three-point trend line buy price. So $28 might drop down to 22 something like that. And the share price will rise to meet it over time. So they'll probably converge in the low 20s. And that's, that's I mean, that's me forecasting and predicting, who knows. But but that's when I would see these, these banks as being buys. And that's another thing that came up on the video call last week, you know, some some of the folks on the call had the question about, well, you're leaving a lot of money on the table there between 15 mm-hmm. and 28. If it's going up, why not mm-hmm. buy and you get all of that profit? But the way I understood it from what you were saying is that, well, yes, you know, you could do that. Mm-hmm. but And that's what somebody who wanted to be a more active uh, trader might do. They might play those sorts of uh, 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 triage games, getting in, getting mm-hmm. out, watching it. Of course, that's a higher risk form of investing than QAV and you also are going to have a lot more costs, your, your brokerage costs every mm-hmm. time you execute a buy or sell transaction, which is going to have an impact on your compounding over time, etc. So yes, you could do that. That's just not the style of investing that QAV does. Yeah, so uh, that that's exactly right. You also have capital gains tax capital gains issues tax, every yes. time you, you trade as well. Yeah. So, I mean, we're trying not to trade too much. I know in the last, well, since we've been doing a dummy portfolio, I've probably traded more than we have in a long time, mm. or I have anyway, because of the volatility in the market. But but we try not to trade too much. Um, but what, like if you look at the at Westpac, for example, its, its share price graph is in an overall decline. So I think any sort of upswing from now is probably going to, be tested once it reaches that, uh, yeah, gets up towards the three-point trend line. Uh, it, it'll go in sort of that band. So things, stock prices tend to have an upper level and a lower level, and they trade in that range. And that's true of companies. It's true of the market. 
And at the moment, the, the, the trend for the banks is down. So yes, they might bounce up, but they won't keep on going is my, my assessment. And the only way to, to disprove that is wait for them to go up past, past that upper most, upper most band. And that's when we buy, but when, you, when the market's strong enough to break out like that. But you could buy in the lower Correct. part of the band, sell at the higher part of the band, mm-hmm. whether or not it breaks or not. And that's, that's a valid form of trading. It's just not, not what you do. No, that's right. And of course, you know, bands are just lines on, on paper. So it's also entirely possible that the banks could go a lot lower than they are today as well. And you can see that from the, from the share price graphs as well. You look at the, the downtrend and look at the sort of lower, lower band on that downtrend historically, and the share price is much lower than that lower band at the moment, hmm. which is a three-point sell, you know, um, break, break down, break out. Uh, so, yeah, sentiment's really falling out of the banking sector. And it's um, pr- even if you, you do get to a compelling argument stage, and when we're pretty close to that now, or we are at that now with the latest results, it's you're still pushing against the tide to, to buy them now. The only way I consider doing it, even if you're a trader, is to dollar cost average. So, you know, buy some maybe uh, 25% uh, every month for the next four months sort of thing. Uh, and, and just, you know, hopefully it's a U-shaped recovery and over that time you've averaged in at the bottom. But it's still risky because you could be buying, you know, four lots of, of a falling stock. So uh, it might take a long time for it to recover. So I've had a number of, <clears throat> sorry, a number of questions uh, along these lines over the last few weeks. And I just want to try and uh, reiterate your reasons for not trading in between the bands like that. So uh, capital gains tax, and the reason you don't want to pay capital gains tax, as I understand it from what you said in the past, is that th- that money that you're paying, if it stays in your portfolio, is adding to the compounding over time. You're eventually going to pay it. But, mm. but if it's sitting in your portfolio, it's uh, helping you compound uh, over years rather than not being there to grow on. Correct. And so you, your trading strategy has to generate outsized returns uh, to, to take into account the fact that it's losing, you know, perhaps 30% each time you trade uh, based on, you know, sort of average tax rates or company tax rates. It could be less than that. If you're in a super fund and it's free, then, then that's, uh, you know, makes it much more legitimate. But, but the, real, the real problem with that kind of trading strategy is with sentiment going against the stock, it, it could fall further. There's, like I said, we're below the lowest band in that sort of range trading idea. Uh, yeah, maybe you want to wait until it gets back up to that lowest band before you buy in and, and look for range trading. But again, we're just you're basing decisions based on lines on the graph. <laughs> um, and and I'd rather see, whilst it's true I'm basing my decisions on lines on the graph, I'd rather see the sentiment be that strong that I can trust it and the numbers be compelling and the combination of those two. Right. And if it breaks through that upper line, that suggests Mm -hmm. that it's going to keep going. Yes, that's right. Mm. And that's just, I mean, basically that that what that's saying to me is that a lot of people are holding the stock and buying into the stock. Of course, it could still go down, but the momentum is with you. So the chances are it will keep going up. Mm. Okay. Uh, Mark's got a little bit more here. April 2017 seems to be the high point for all of them, but if you use this to start a buy three-point trend line, you won't buy until they've regained all of their COVID-19 losses. Bit silly, 
considering they are government underwritten businesses with high dividend yields, does the three point trend line become more of a guideline than a rule, i.e. is a teensy weensy upturn sometimes good enough and what you've just said is no? No, correct. Yeah, look, it's a good point. You do want to try and get some of that back, but by the same token, I think we'll see the banks, you know, they may have some bear market rallies. Based on based on the recessions I've seen in the past, they'll continue to do this for another 18, 12, 18 months before we see a, concern, a concerted up, uptrend in their share prices. Now, that's all predictive, mm. and I don't like necessarily following predictions. That's mm. why I'm using my, you know, proven method, which is to wait for the sentiment to return in the stock enough to, for us to buy it. Mm. It may happen that way, it may not. So Correct. you're going to yeah. just keep playing by the rules. Yeah. And if you look at Westpac, for example, I mean, the, uh, Mark's right. The high point was April 17. It's never gotten back to that high point, obviously. But if you look at, say, 2019, it, it staged the rally there into from January into September 2019, and it, it fell off a cliff even before COVID-19 came along. So in, in January 2019, the share price was 24.55, and in January 2020, it was $25.12. So it was uh, $0.50 cents higher over the course of the year, even though it had gone up to nearly $30 a share uh, during that year, it come back again. So that's the kind of pattern I expect to see with with stocks that are in a downtrend like this they'll sawtooth up but they won't break out and then they'll, they'll drop again quickly mm. Mm. and of course as you've said before as time moves on that buy point will come down correct yes as the graph moves to the right mm. the high points will, will eventually move off the graph uh, as they are now it'll take a while for April 17 to move off but as it moves along uh, even if it gets closer to the left-hand side of the graph, it will flatten that, that buy price line down to a lower number. Mm. 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 Okay, good. Let's move on. Question from the Facebook page from Owen. I noticed the latest AQG news announcing a merger with SSR Mining. My first thought is that this is a good thing for the shareholders. Otherwise, why do the merger, given the good position AQG is in, I note the merged company will have a net debt of $215 million. I won't pretend to fully understand all of the details. I was wondering other people's thoughts. Note, I don't own any AQG shares, but I know the dummy portfolio does. You sent me something about this merger as well during the week. Talk us through it. Yeah. Well, thank goodness we do own shares in the dummy portfolio because they have just rocketed uh, quite a lot from what? from. Uh, I think we bought them around seven, seven fifty. Yeah. And are now ten fifty five, so yeah. So Alasa Gold is dual listed. It's both listed in Australia and on the Toronto Stock Exchange in Canada. And Alasa Gold is is uh, mainly based in Canada. It, I think it does have a mine in Australia from memory, but I'm just I have to look that one up and com and confirm that. Uh, actually, it has a mine in Turkey. I just looked it up. So uh, it's I think we talked about this when we were analysing Alasa Gold. What was it doing listed on the ASX? But that was access to capital, I think, because of the, the mining sector in Australia. But it's merged with a, another Canadian miner, uh, SSR, and they have mines in Canada and the US. And so the, the merge company has uh, a lot more exposure to the gold mining sector and across different geographies and therefore different cost 
bases, which is good. The um, the thing I liked about the merger was that it. The thing I liked about the Laser Gold, of course, is it's free or it's operating cash flow and it's free cash flow, and they've preserved that in the merger of equals with SSR. Uh, so that's that's promising going forward. Uh, the, by the, con- the concept of merger of equals, by that I mean that no premium was paid in the merger by either party, party so they both agreed to merge. Uh, they had to work out a merger price, and that's one of the reasons why the stock jumped in Australia because the the merger valued the Canadian shares, listed shares for AQG at nine dollars and four uh, eight dollars something, but when converted to Australian dollars, it was nine dollars and four cents. So that was the first leg up in the in the share price gain. Alasa Gold went from in the um, in the eight dollar range to in the nine dollar range. And then, uh, as people analyse the merger, they've um, in, bought into the into the merger again, and so the shares are now at ten dollars fifty five. So yeah, so it looks um, looks like a good deal. Right. Oh, good. Mm. Well, there you go. Another question uh, from Carl. He says, uh, "I have a similar question with respect to Stanmore Coal, which is." being bought out if i choose not to sell my shares for the offer price of one dollar what are the implications yeah so the implication is that uh the 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 company which is taking over stanmore coal will eventually get to the stage where they own 90 percent of the of the shares in the company and then they can compulsorily acquire the remaining 10 percent and they need to do that at a dollar under australian law they can't increase or decrease the offer to the last 10%, but they can acquire those shares compulsorily. The, the problem with holding on and waiting for that is that you could wait a long time for that, that check to come through from the acquiring company because uh, there's I don't think there's any time restrictions on when they have to do that. Uh, and, and sometimes uh, an acquiring company will will wait for six months or 12 months to see if the, comp- if the, the remaining shareholders sell their shares anyway. Uh, but when they get to that 90%, they do have the option of just cutting a check for the remaining shareholders and sending them the dollar per share. Um, but again, that, that could take months, whereas if you sell the shares on the on the ASX tomorrow, you'll get, you'll get your dollar in two, two days. So it's much better doing that. What do you miss out on? Uh, you miss out on the potential that another bid lobs after you've sold your shares and uh, you missed out on that higher price. But from what I've read of Stanmore Coal, the acquiring company now has the majority of the shares therefore it controls the board Uh, the old board outgoing board recommended that the bid go through Uh, so everything sort of points to the fact that there'll be no other competing bid and that the uh, the acquiring company will mop up these shares so uh, if i was a shareholder in stanmore i would sell the dollar and, and take my money and move on but don't take this as financial advice carl correct carl yes they're the arguments for and against anyway yeah Okay, thank you. Oh, sorry, one last thing too. Mm. If you if you do, uh, one thing that might uh, come into your calculations is the fact that June thirty is coming up, mm. and so you'll be. I'm assuming Carl's going to pay some capital gains tax on the on the sale. Uh, so you know, again, not financial advice, but take that into consideration, both from when you time your sale, whether you wait for the compulsory acquisition, which might take you into next year, or whether you sell now. Uh, it may not. They may they may wrap it up quickly. Uh, and if you do happen to sell at a profit now, then uh, don't don't fall into the trap of you know holding on to another share. 
you know, you're say you're an Apollo tourism shareholder, and you might say to yourself, "Well, I'm going to hold on to the Apollo tourism until it turns around." You might want to consider selling Apollo tourism and leisure now, and having the capital loss offset your capital gain, so, so you're paying less tax. Mm. Again, not financial advice, certainly not tax advice. Take these things into considerations and, and work it out for yourselves, or seek other advice. Mm. All righty. Wish we'd held on to Stanmore. We sold it the 12th of March for 74 cents. Ooh, yeah. The, you know, this, that's an interesting point, Cam. This is going to happen that we miss out on things because we sold them or we, we bought things that go down. Uh, I, I think, you know, one thing we haven't talked about, but which I should, is that if you're an investor, you've got to forgive yourself mistakes. <laughs> you, you can't play the woulda, coulda, shoulda game. Uh, things will always go against you at some stage. As we've said before, even Warren Buffett gets 6 out of 10 right, not 10 out of 10 right. But he doesn't go around beating himself up. Beating himself up. He, no, he's rich he enough to pay other people to do that. <laughs> but well, I guess the point I'm trying to make is that if you agonise over every missed opportunity, you'll spend your whole life second-guessing yourself. Uh, I, I'd much rather forgive myself a mistake and move on and get 6 out of 10 right and not, not worry about it. Sure, go back and look at what we did wrong when we sold Stanmore Coal at seventy-four cents, and try and learn from that, and try and improve, and and that's a great way to improve. But don't beat yourself up. Yeah. No, look. Uh, one of the things that I like uh, about QOV, I guess the the key thing is that it has a set of rules there, and if the rules say you sell the stock, then you sell the stock. Okay, maybe it doesn't go in your favour that time, but the whole. Uh, point of QAV is that if played in a disciplined fashion, the rules over time will work in your favour. Correct, yes. And that's another advantage about having a set of rules. You can go back and regression test them Mm -hmm. and apply them to to past periods and to see whether you'd still do well. Mm. And and you do, Mm. because I've done that. Uh, So yeah, so it gives you confidence to go ahead on average. So we're not trying to hit every home run. Hmm. We're, we're, we're trying to hit more home runs than we, we miss. Hmm. Well, that's the end of the free episode of QAV this week. If you're brand new, you should know that we have a free episode and a premium episode every week. The free episode runs about half an hour. The premium episode runs as long as it runs. This week it was about an hour and 40. Uh, so there's another hour plus of Tony answering listener questions on the premium show and if you want to check out the premium shows you can jump over to our website qavpodcast.com.au sign up for a 14-day trial and see what you think you get to ask questions and participate in our live zoom calls as we do once a month and uh, you know that we we're going to have uh, meetups once we're allowed to have meetups again uh this year and uh stuff like that so a lot of advantages of being a qav club member but sign up check it out see what you think Otherwise, uh, the only other thing to I have to tell you every week is we're not financial advisors, so please don't take anything you heard on this as financial advice that is right for you. If you need financial advice, go, for your, go see a financial advisor or tax advisor or anything like that. Uh, really, we're just here to teach how Tony Coniston runs his investment portfolio, how one guy has learned to be a successful share investor. That's it. Take it, leave it, up to you. With that, hope you have a great week. Good luck with your investing. Stay safe and we'll be back next week.